Question 84, Part 2 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 84. How the soul, while united to the body, understands corporeal things beneath it? Part 2. Fifth Article. Part 1. Question 84. Article 5. Whether the intellectual soul knows material things in the eternal types. Objection 1. It would seem that the intellectual soul does not know material things in the eternal types. For that in which anything is known must itself be known more and previously. But the intellectual soul of man in the present state of life does not know the eternal types. For it does not know God in whom the eternal types exist, but is, quote, united to God as to the unknown, end quote, as Dionysius says, Mystical Theology 1. Therefore, the soul does not know all in the eternal types. Objection 2. Further, it is written, Romans 1.20, that, quote, the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are made, end quote. But among the invisible things of God are the eternal types. Therefore the eternal types are known through creatures and not the converse. Objection 3. Further, the eternal types are nothing else but ideas. For Augustine says, 83 different questions, question 46, that, quote, ideas are permanent types existing in the divine mind, end quote. If, therefore, we say that the intellectual soul knows all things in the eternal types, we come back to the opinion of Plato, who said that all knowledge is derived from them. On the contrary, Augustine says, Confessions 12.25, If we both see that what you say is true, and if we both see that what I say is true, where do we see this, I pray? Neither do I see it in you, nor do you see it in me, but we both see it in the unchangeable truth which is above our minds. Now the unchangeable truth is contained in the eternal types. Therefore the intellectual soul knows all true things in the eternal types. I answer that, as Augustine says, on Christian Teaching 2.11, If those who are called philosophers said by chance anything that was true and consistent with our faith, we must claim it from them as from unjust possessors. For some of the doctrines of the heathens are spurious imitations or superstitious inventions, which we must be careful to avoid when we renounce the society of the heathens. End quote. Consequently, whenever Augustine, who was imbued with the doctrines of the Platonists, found in their teaching anything consistent with faith, he adopted it, 
and those things which he found contrary to faith he amended now plato held as we have said above article four that the forms of things subsist of themselves apart from matter and these he called ideas by participation of which he said that our intellect knows all things so that just as corporeal matter by participating the idea of a stone becomes a stone so our intellect by participating the same idea has knowledge of a stone but since it seems contrary to faith that forms of things themselves outside the things themselves and apart from matter as the platonists held asserting that per se life or per se wisdom are creative substances as dionysius relates divine names nine therefore augustine eighty three different questions question forty six for the ideas defended by plato substituted the types of all creatures existing in the divine mind according to which types all things are made in themselves and are known to the human soul when therefore the question is asked does the human soul know all things in the eternal types we must reply that one thing is said to be known in another in two ways first as in an object itself known as one may see in a mirror the images of things reflected therein in this way the soul in the present state of life cannot see all things in the eternal types but the blessed who see god and all things in him thus know all things in the eternal types secondly one thing is said to be known in another as in a principle of knowledge thus we might say that we see in the sun what we see by the sun and thus we must needs say that the human soul knows all things in the eternal types since by participation of these types we know all things for the intellectual light itself which is in us is nothing else than a participated likeness of the uncreated light in which are contained the eternal types whence it is written psalm four six and seven quote, many say who showeth us good things End quote. which question the psalmist answers quote, the light of thy countenance o lord is signed upon us End quote. as though he were to say by the seal of the divine light in us all things are made known to us but since besides the intellectual light which is in us intelligible species which are derived from things are required in order for us to have knowledge of material things therefore this same knowledge is not due merely to a participation of the eternal types as the platonists held maintaining that the mere participation of ideas sufficed for knowledge wherefore augustine says on the trinity four sixteen quote, although the philosophers prove by convincing arguments that all things occur in time according to the eternal types were they able to see in the eternal types or to find out from them how many kinds of animals there are and the origin of each did they not seek for this information from the story of times and places End quote. but that augustine did not understand all things to be known in their quote, eternal types end quote, 
or in the quote, unchangeable truth end quote, as though the eternal types themselves were seen is clear from what he says eighty-three different questions question forty-six videlicet that quote, not each and every rational soul can be said to be worthy of that vision end quote, namely of the eternal types quote, but only those that are holy and pure end quote, such as the souls of the blessed from what has been said the objections are easily solved sixth article part one question eighty four article six whether intellectual knowledge is derived from sensible things objection one it would seem that intellectual knowledge is not derived from sensible things for augustine says eighty-three different questions question nine that quote, we cannot expect to learn the fullness of truth from the senses of the body end quote. this he proves in two ways first because quote, whatever the bodily senses reach is continually being changed and what is never the same cannot be perceived end quote. secondly because quote, whatever we perceive by the body even when not present to the senses may be present to the imagination as when we are asleep or angry yet we cannot discern by the senses whether what we perceive be the sensible object or the deceptive image thereof now nothing can be perceived which cannot be distinguished from its counterfeit end quote. and so he concludes that we cannot expect to learn the truth from the senses but intellectual knowledge apprehends the truth therefore intellectual knowledge cannot be conveyed by the senses objection two further augustine says the literal meaning of genesis twelve sixteen quote, we must not think that the body can make any impression on the spirit as though the spirit were to supply the place of matter in regard to the body's action for that which acts is in every way more excellent than that which it acts on end quote. whence he concludes that quote, the body does not cause its image in the spirit but the spirit causes it in itself end quote. therefore intellectual knowledge is not derived from sensible things objection three further an effect does not surpass the power of its cause but intellectual knowledge extends beyond sensible things for we understand some things which cannot be perceived by the senses therefore intellectual knowledge is not derived from sensible things on the contrary the philosopher says metaphysics one one posterior analytics two fifteen that the principle of knowledge is in the senses I answer that on this point the philosophers held three opinions for democritus held that quote, all knowledge is caused by images issuing from the bodies we think of and entering into our souls end quote. as augustine says in his letter to dioscorus one hundred and eighteen four 
and aristotle says on sleep and waking that democritus held that knowledge is caused by a quote, discharge of images end quote. and the reason for this opinion was that both democritus and the other early philosophers did not distinguish between intellect and sense as aristotle relates on the soul three three consequently since the sense is affected by the sensible they thought that all our knowledge is affected by this mere impression brought about by sensible things which impression democritus held to be caused by a discharge of images plato on the other hand held that the intellect is distinct from the senses and that it is an immaterial power not making use of a corporeal organ for its action and since the incorporeal cannot be affected by the corporeal he held that intellectual knowledge is not brought about by sensible things affecting the intellect but by separate intelligible forms being participated by the intellect as we have said above articles four and five moreover he held that sense is a power operating of itself consequently neither is sense since it is a spiritual power affected by the sensible but the sensible organs are affected by the sensible the result being that the soul is in a way roused to form within itself the species of the sensible augustine seems to touch on this opinion the literal meaning of genesis twelve twenty four where he says that the quote, body feels not but the soul through the body which it makes use of as a kind of messenger for reproducing within itself what is announced from without end quote. thus according to plato neither does intellectual knowledge proceed from sensible knowledge nor sensible knowledge exclusively from sensible things but these rouse the sensible soul to the sentient act while the senses rouse the intellect to the act of understanding aristotle chose a middle course for with plato he agreed that intellect and sense are different but he held that the sense has not its proper operation without the cooperation of the body so that to feel is not an act of the soul alone but of the quote, composite end quote. and he held the same in regard to all the operations of the sensitive part since therefore it is not unreasonable that the sensible objects which are outside the soul should produce some effect in the quote, composite end quote. aristotle agreed with democritus in this that the operations of the sensitive part are caused by the impression of the sensible on the sense not by a discharge as democritus said but by some kind of operation for democritus maintained that every operation is by way of a discharge of atoms as we gather from generation of animals one eight but aristotle held that the intellect has an operation which is independent of the body's cooperation now nothing corporeal can make an impression on the incorporeal and therefore in order to cause the intellectual operation according to aristotle the impression caused by the sensible does not suffice but something more noble is required for quote, the agent is more noble than the patient end quote, as he says 
generation of animals one five not indeed in the sense that the intellectual operation is affected in us by the mere impression of some superior beings as plato held but that the higher and more noble agent which he calls the active intellect of which we have spoken above question seventy nine articles three and four causes the phantasms received from the senses to be actually intelligible by a process of abstraction according to this opinion then on the part of the phantasms intellectual knowledge is caused by the senses but since the phantasms cannot of themselves affect the passive intellect and require to be made actually intelligible by the active intellect it cannot be said that sensible knowledge is the total and perfect cause of intellectual knowledge but rather that it is in a way the material cause reply objection one those words of augustine mean that we must not expect the entire truth from the senses for the light of the active intellect is needed through which we achieve the unchangeable truth of changeable things and discern things themselves from their likeness reply objection to in this passage augustine speaks not of intellectual but of imaginary knowledge and since according to the opinion of plato the imagination has an operation which belongs to the soul only augustine in order to show that corporeal images are impressed on the imagination not by bodies but by the soul uses the same argument as aristotle does in proving that the active intellect must be separate namely because quote, the agent is more noble than the patient end quote. and without doubt according to the above opinion in the imagination there must needs be not only a passive but also an active power but if we hold according to the opinion of aristotle that the action of the imagination is an action of the quote, composite end quote, there is no difficulty because the sensible body is more noble than the organ of the animal in so far as it is compared to it as a being in act to a being in potentiality even as the object actually colored is compared to the pupil which is potentially colored it may however be said although the first impression of the imagination is through the agency of the sensible since quote, fancy is movement produced in accordance with sensation end quote, on the soul three three that nevertheless there is in man an operation which by synthesis and analysis forms images of various things even of things not perceived by the senses and augustine's words may be taken in this sense reply objection three sensitive knowledge is not the entire cause of intellectual knowledge and therefore it is not strange that intellectual knowledge should extend further than sensitive knowledge seventh article part one question eighty four article seven whether the intellect can actually understand through the intelligible species of which it is possessed without turning to the phantasms objection one it would seem that the intellect 
can actually understand through the intelligible species of which it is possessed without turning to the phantasms for the intellect is made actual by the intelligible species by which it is informed but if the intellect is in act it understands therefore the intelligible species suffices for the intellect to understand actually without turning to the phantasms objection to further the imagination is more dependent on the senses than the intellect on the imagination but the imagination can actually imagine in the absence of the sensible therefore much more can the intellect understand without turning to the phantasms objection three there are no phantasms of incorporeal things for the imagination does not transcend time and space if therefore our intellect cannot understand anything actually without turning to the phantasms it follows that it cannot understand anything incorporeal which is clearly false for we understand truth and god and the angels on the contrary the philosopher says on the soul three seven that quote, the soul understands nothing without a phantasm end quote. i answer that in the present state of life in which the soul is united to a passable body it is impossible for our intellect to understand anything actually except by turning to the phantasms first of all because the intellect being a power that does not make use of a corporeal organ would in no way be hindered in its act through the lesion of a corporeal organ if for its act there were not required the act of some power that does make use of a corporeal organ now sense imagination and the other powers belonging to the sensitive part make use of a corporeal organ wherefore it is clear that for the intellect to understand actually not only when it acquires fresh knowledge but also when it applies knowledge already acquired there is need for the act of the imagination and of the other powers for when the act of the imagination is hindered by a lesion of the corporeal organ for instance in a case of frenzy or when the act of the memory is hindered as in the case of lethargy we see that a man is hindered from actually understanding things of which he had a previous knowledge secondly any one can experience this of himself that when he tries to understand something he forms certain phantasms to serve him by way of examples in which as it were he examines what he is desirous of understanding for this reason it is that when we wish to help someone to understand something we lay examples before him from which he forms phantasms for the purpose of understanding now the reason of this is that the power of knowledge is proportioned to the thing known wherefore the proper object of the angelic intellect which is entirely separate from a body is an intelligible substance separate from a body whereas the proper object of the human intellect which is united to a body is a quiddity or nature existing in corporeal matter and through such natures of visible things it rises to a certain knowledge of things invisible now it belongs to such a nature to exist in an individual and this cannot be apart from corporeal matter for instance it belongs to the nature of a stone 
to be in an individual stone and to the nature of a horse to be in an individual horse and so forth wherefore the nature of a stone or any material thing cannot be known completely and truly except inasmuch as it is known as existing in the individual now we apprehend the individual through the senses and the imagination and therefore for the intellect to understand actually its proper object it must of necessity turn to the phantasms in order to perceive the universal nature existing in the individual but if the proper object of our intellect were a separate form or if as the platonists say the natures of sensible things subsisted apart from the individual there would be no need for the intellect to turn to the phantasms whenever it understands reply objection one the species preserved in the passive intellect exist there habitually when it does not understand them actually as we have said above question seventy nine article six wherefore for us to understand actually the fact that the species are preserved does not suffice we need further to make use of them in a manner befitting the things of which they are the species which things are natures existing in individuals reply objection to even the phantasm is the likeness of an individual thing wherefore the imagination does not need any further likeness of the individual whereas the intellect does reply objection three incorporeal things of which there are no phantasms are known to us by comparison with sensible bodies of which there are phantasms thus we understand truth by considering a thing of which we possess the truth and god as dionysius says divine names one we know as cause by way of excess and by way of remotion other incorporeal substances we know in the present state of life only by way of remotion or by some comparison to corporeal things and therefore when we understand something about these things we need to turn to phantasms of bodies although there are no phantasms of the things themselves eighth article part one question eighty four article eight whether the judgment of the intellect is hindered through suspension of the sensitive powers objection one it would seem that the judgment of the intellect is not hindered by suspension of the sensitive powers for the superior does not depend on the inferior but the judgment of the intellect is higher than the senses therefore the judgment of the intellect is not hindered through suspension of the senses objection to further to syllogize is an act of the intellect but during sleep the senses are suspended as is said in on sleep and waking one and yet it sometimes happens to us to syllogize while asleep therefore the judgment of the intellect is not hindered through suspension of the senses on the contrary what a man does while asleep against the moral law is not imputed to him as a sin as augustine says the literal meaning of genesis twelve fifteen but this would not be the case if man while asleep 
had free use of his reason and intellect. Therefore the judgment of the intellect is hindered by suspension of the senses. I answer that, as we have said above, Article 7, our intellect's proper and proportionate object is the nature of a sensible thing. Now a perfect judgment concerning anything cannot be formed unless all that pertains to that thing's nature be known, especially if that be ignored which is the term and end of judgment. Now the philosopher says, on the heavens three, that, quote, as the end of a practical science is action, so the end of natural science is that which is perceived principally through the senses. End quote. For the smith does not seek knowledge of a knife except for the purpose of action, in order that he may produce a certain individual knife. And in like manner, the natural philosopher does not seek to know the nature of a stone and of a horse save for the purpose of knowing the essential properties of those things which he perceives with his senses. Now it is clear that a smith cannot judge perfectly of a knife unless he knows the action of the knife, and in like manner the natural philosopher cannot judge perfectly of natural things unless he knows sensible things. But in the present state of life, Whatever we understand, we know by comparison to natural, sensible things. Consequently, it is not possible for our intellect to form a perfect judgment while the senses are suspended, through which sensible things are known to us. Reply Objection 1. Although the intellect is superior to the senses, nevertheless in a manner it receives from the senses, and its first and principal objects are founded in sensible things. And therefore suspension of the senses necessarily involves a hindrance to the judgment of the intellect. Reply Objection 2. The senses are suspended in the sleeper through certain evaporations and the escape of certain exhalations, as we read in On Sleep and Waking 3. And, therefore, according to the amount of such evaporation, the senses are more or less suspended. For when the amount is considerable, not only are the senses suspended, but also the imagination, so that there are no phantasms. Thus does it happen, especially when a man falls asleep after eating and drinking copiously. If, however, the evaporation be somewhat less, phantasms appear but distorted and without sequence. Thus it happens in a case of fever. And if the evaporation be still more attenuated, the phantasms will have a certain sequence. Thus especially does it happen towards the end of sleep in sober men and those who are gifted with a strong imagination. If the evaporation be very slight, not only does the imagination retain its freedom, but also the common sense is partly freed, so that sometimes while asleep a man may judge that what he sees is a dream, discerning as it were between things and their images. Nevertheless, the common sense remains partly suspended, and therefore, although it discriminates some images from the reality, yet is it always deceived in some particular. Therefore, while man is asleep, according as sense and imagination are free, 
so is the judgment of his intellect unfettered though not entirely consequently if a man syllogizes while asleep when he wakes up he invariably recognizes a flaw in some respect end of question eighty four part two